I'm an absolutely huge fan of your work and uh, spend most of my time, despite the fact that I work in portraits and I work photographing people, absolutely confused at the the level of skill that you have in terms of retouch and lighting and so on. Um, but before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of things, just how did you end up gravitating towards photography? Well, that's really kind, Chris. Um, it's an interesting one, really. It was about 16 years ago now. Um, I think I always used to do a little bit as a kid, but nothing major. It was things like, a, you know, Kodak with a, a flash on top, one of those flash cube things <laughs> that used to burn out after you used them. So that was my first introduction to photography. Um, I've never done any darkroom stuff at all. So 16 years ago, I started out properly, and that was my first digital camera, I guess. And it was because um, a friend of mine who's a hairdresser, um, he, I think I must have just bought a camera for some reason, but I didn't re realise at the time that I was going to start getting into it. He asked me if I'd take some photographs for him to enter a competition. So he was entering a men's hairdressing competition in Paris, and he said, could I photograph some of the work he'd done, some of, the, some of his clients? So I agreed, and then from that point, went off to a friend who had a, a light, got a light off of him, a strobe, and um, took it into the salon. Um, he did the hair of the client and I took some photographs and uh, we were lucky enough to um, get through to the competition finals, which meant we had to go to Paris to do it. So um, wow. my friend said to me, would you like to come along? And I said, yeah, because I've never been to Paris before. And uh, I had an amazing time. Basically, this, this show that they had there, this um, hair show, it's called the Mondial Coffre de Beauty. It was in a massive... Um, convention centre and uh, they had um, live catwalks and stuff and you could go right up to the front and take photographs so I made, you know, made an opportunity to try that because I'd never done that before and I found that such a buzz being on a, a catwalk photographer was just really cool um, so from that point I'd got hooked and to be honest with you since then I've never stopped really loving photographing people so I would consider myself a kind of um, a portrait photographer foremost specializing i guess in hair and beauty yeah yeah no it's it's it, like i say coming from the point of view of someone that's obviously substantially less gifted um when it comes to uh, the retouch side of things and obviously your your dearth of knowledge of lighting as well um is it's fairly intimidating i'd say from my point of view one of the things i find most fascinating is how people end up gravitating towards beauty work given that it's quite labor intensive and quite team reliance so was it just that initial shoot that kind of pushed you towards beauty and you didn't look back or was there a, a, an underlying obsession with anything else that kind of pushed you in that direction um yeah it probably was that initial one that did it and especially um after photographing the catwalk as well um I just just found that was really something I enjoyed. So I'm going to disappoint you on the um, on the retouching front because although I do retouching of my images in certain styles, when it comes mm -hmm. to the real close-up beauty work, I actually employ a retoucher. Oh, okay. Um, which is a whole other conversation about how you find one, um, et cetera, et cetera. We can maybe talk about that a little bit later. But um, yeah, I've, I've been working with a retoucher called Stefka Pavlova for about nine years now, I guess. Right. And she's just been amazing. We've got a really compatible style. She's really good at um, coming back with images on time. Um, and it just worked out really well. I just I just think in that case, it's worth employing a professional if you don't have the time, because I don't do this full time. I've actually got an IT career um, that's full time, ah. but this is just part time. 
So there was no way I could spend three or four hours on an image um, after doing a shoot where you need several images from it. So I decided at that point it would be, it was best to outsource that side of things. That kind of feeds into my next question anyway, because I was I was going to basically ask one thing I do know about beauty work um, with with a little bit of sort of perspective from watching other people do it is how reliant it is on, on sort of teams rather than just like two individuals, you know, one taking pictures of the other. And how do you go about kind of building up a team? How do you go about finding people with the similar skill set, the similar goals and the personalities that match, you know, how hard is that to do? We've been really lucky, really. I've had loads of different teams rather than being just one constant team, I guess. Um, I've kept the same retouching mainly because I like to show some loyalty to that to that as well. So although I've had lots of retouchers coming to me saying, can I edit your images and can we make some sort of deal, which is great of them, um, you know, I'd rather stick with the one that I've had for ages that's, um, you know, done a great job. So that's what I've tried to do is stay loyal to her. Um Teamwork is so important. I mean, especially in hair and beauty, because obviously you've got the um, the stylist and you've got the the fashion styling, you've got the makeup artist. Everybody's part of the team, and without one person in that team doing the job well, you're not going to get the same results. So I always do everything I can to credit the team, and certainly I, there's very little that's ever been. Well, I don't think there's anything. It's just been down to me because even if you're working with one model and they've done their own makeup, it's it's a team effort. It's the two of you. So, uh, yeah, finding a good team is really important. How um, how much uh, of importance would you place on being able to communicate what you're looking for? I think obviously one of the problems with you all coming from different professions is that you would see you would have a different language for describing different things. Obviously, the makeup artist knows a lot more technical things about the makeup. So, how do you go about sort of communicating what it is that you're looking for? Is it a system of like using mood boards, or do you, do you actually know quite a lot of the the lingo on their part? Yeah, I mean, I've, to be honest with you, I've spent so many hours now waiting for makeup to be completed um, by professionals, and I quite I enjoy watching the process. That you do get the lingo, and you do get a feel for what's right and what's wrong, and maybe suggest that you know something could go in a certain direction. Um, a lot of the things I do are collaborations as well as paid jobs, so it's important that everybody has their own input as well. So I don't like to be too dictatorial. Um, it's nice to get some feedback from everybody that's doing the job, but at some point you have to make a decision. So occasionally you have to step in and say, no, this is the way we're going to go. And everybody's happy from that point on. When you're planning something like a creative beauty shoot, um, the planning stage of it, not the, not the shooting stage, but the actual like building up the idea, working out the kinks and whatnot, is that you or is that a, is that a collaborative effort where one of you brings in an idea and you discuss it? Uh, generally speaking, it's a collaborative effort. I tend to, um, I like to go into a situation, whether that be, um, because I don't have a studio, I've never had a studio, I've always worked on location, generally speaking, or in somebody's premise, or in somebody's house even, so um, you don't really know what it's going to be like when you get there, so when it comes to lighting and things like that, you don't know how high the ceilings are, in, if you're working in salons, you don't know if it's full of mirrors. Um, there's all sorts of things that can be an issue with space and that kind of stuff. So you have to adapt to the situation. And I think um, the way I look at photography, although some people have a, a vision in their mind straight away of what they're trying to achieve, and I, I admire that, that isn't really me. I tend to adapt to what's happening at the time. So much of it is on the fly, if I'm honest. Um, yes, we have mood boards and things like that, but personally, I don't think I've ever seen a shoot end up looking like 
the mood board really it is just a mood yeah it's just a direction right it's not it's not the, the destination necessarily but it's just giving you relatively speaking the right pathway to walk down to end up maybe towards the idea of what you're looking for it is funny how different they can look like sometimes it's like what was the mood board for this is nothing like the result but we're happy with it <laughs> Uh, something I really don't know um, and I'm fascinated by, and you have a little bit of this in your um, portfolio, is uh, the work with insects. Um, alive? <laughs> Definitely not, no. That was um, working with a French model that had an insect collection and she brought it over Brian. to the UK and was really keen to shoot it. And they were amazing insects. I mean, nothing like I've ever seen in the UK before. Um but even though they're dead, it doesn't mean they're easy to work with. Um, I was working with a makeup artist um, called Gemma on those particular ones, and she was amazing. But the amount of times we we dropped them, because we were trying to pick them up with tweezers and be really careful and all that kind of stuff, but we had legs falling off and all sorts of things <laughs> going on. Uh, and these were a bit of a prized possession of the model as well, and you know, you a few hit the deck and stuff. It was a bit of a disaster from that point of view. But um, yeah, if they look real, that's great. <laughs> so when it comes to the team, if we go down sort of, if we talk about like hairstylist, makeup artist and model, if we go for those three, I'm aware that there's more. Um, but what makes the ideal makeup artist, the ideal hairstylist and uh, quite importantly to you, um, my opinion uh, um, of beauty photography is is sort of the model selection, the subject selection. So what makes the ideal selection for all three of those? Um, it is nice to work with people. Well, with people you worked with before, you, you know how the things are going to go. So that's always a good start. Although having said that, if it is somebody new, generally speaking, I've had no issues at any point where you've clashed or anything like that. You've just kind of you know gone with what's going on and it's all worked out fine. So I'm quite happy from that point of view. So makeup artists, it's important they know the skills and they've had lots of experience, um, especially at the sort of level I shoot these days because you know you do see the errors if they're there and the worst things are things like um, having too much foundation so things look cakey or not having the right kind of match for the skin and all that kind of stuff so if you've got someone that knows all that and they're talented and uh, there's a lot that I've worked with that have been absolutely brilliant then that, that's that sorted really um, on the hair front a lot of the things I've done hair-wise have been for competition again. So the hairstylist has actually led that shoot. They've even, um, well, they've paid for those kind of shoots. So you're going there and they've sorted all that out. They know exactly what they're going to do. They've planned it out. Um, they've maybe even practiced it beforehand. So again, that's really been directed by, by their desire rather than mine. I'm really photographing what they've put in front of me. And as I'm shooting, you know, the big occasions, because that's a very, I find that quite a slow process. You, although you can make it dynamic and you can add air to the shoot and all that kind of stuff and get things moving about, sometimes with hair, you know, every hair just has to be in its place. So there's tiny movements here and there just to make sure that everything's right. So I'll make suggestions sometimes if I see something doesn't look quite right, you might have a loop in a hair somewhere. The stylist hasn't seen there from their point of view. And I'll say, oh, do you think, was, was that what you wanted there? Or do you want to move that? Or and quite often they'll go back and they'll change it and they're grateful for your point of view really that you're seeing something they haven't seen so um yeah it's very collaborative on that front and then the ideal model what what, what does an ideal model have uh, for you to want to to work with them <laughs> yeah that's a really good question um i mean for me 
facial structure is really important. So great jawline, cheekbones, amazing looking eyes, lips. I mean, you could, you could talk about everything really, but then that doesn't always have to be your standard um, attractive looking woman. You can have someone that's quite quirky that really fits the bill. So it's difficult to pick, but it's such an important thing because to me, you know, sometimes I look at my images and I wonder whether all the work that I've put into it and the team's put into it, although people are seeing that and hopefully it's looking good for that reason, I think the main focus is the model. If you've got a great model, it's hard to go too wrong. And maybe the perception of the image by other people, whether that's a good or a bad image, is purely down to who you've shot. That's just a theory of mine. But Okay, so to me, I think that there is basically two kinds of 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 model essentially which is uh this, like you just kind of put it you have the sort of conventional pretty model and then the, the other side i would just refer to as aliens would be people that are yeah. striking in, in a sense that they have interesting features or they have an interesting structure um that they draw attention maybe not for the idea of being conventionally attractive but they are still someone that is incredibly striking which would you prefer um, I don't mind either, but then if you have a model that's got the experience to go with it as well, and they've got a range of expressions, and um, they just really know what works, they know their angles, that can make so much difference. A professional model is, is a huge difference. One of the things that I've heard quite often um, said, maybe by people that are either less experienced or completely inexperienced with photography, is that like headshots or beauty work, the modelling is very easy. You just have to sit there and be pretty because... Um, you're not moving around too much. And in my experience, especially where I've worked with headshots for quite a while, it's actually one of the hardest things for a subject because it's incredibly close and you're you're sort of very restricted within your movement because of the setup. Um, and there's a lot of focus on your expression. You know, is yeah. it a, an underrated skill? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's some, some models that make it look easy. So you could say maybe they're finding it easy. Um but there's definitely a talent there to, to do it right regularly and look amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Is there is there a way that a model could, um, no matter how how sort of either conventionally attractive or just striking in physical appearance, is there something a model could do to kind of sour um, working with you? Is this is there a sort of a personality clash that you worry about? Are you someone that gets bothered about like lateness or ego, anything like that? Yeah, I don't think anybody's keen on that. If you've got a team turn up and they're on time, and then the model turns up late, I mean, there's all sorts of excuses you've heard before. Some will be valid, some won't. You know, some have to come a long way. Um, to a shoot it might be coming from the Midlands or something to a shoot in London or something like that and it's it is difficult to get your timing spot on for that sort of thing I do understand that but um, if you're hours late or something like that and there's not a good reason then um, it would depend on the shoot and what it was for yeah but I could I could potentially um, stop the shoot if it was that if it was that delayed as you know uh, on the basis of that it really depends what it was for but, um, you know, like anybody else, I appreciate some respect and um, I'll give the same back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've, I've made the mistake in the past, I think, of exercising a little bit too much professional spite where I've I've put aside time and I've maybe sort of stuck my neck out for someone. And then when they've let me down, I blackball them outright because it just it frustrates me when... I think there there are people that give too much and there are people that take too much and there's very few people in the middle of that. Um, and I, I, I think sometimes um, 
To say something kind of remotely controversial, I think people that have had an easier time of things in terms of being praised a lot for their looks or having received a lot of compliments for something physical about themselves maybe sometimes think that's all they need to kind of show up. And it makes it so much better when you work with someone that's not only like physically, uh, fantastically put together, but also just a professional human being. Absolutely, 100%. And I'd like you, if it happens once with a good reason, I'd probably let them have a second chance, but you wouldn't get a third if you did it to me again. Mm. No, it's, it's just, just a waste just, of everybody's just, just time. No and there's, there's too many people out there, too many good people to work with to have to worry about someone that's unreliable. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um with the work that you do edit, I want to go down a little bit of a retouching route here, but with the work that you do edit, what's your sort of ratio in terms of time shooting compared to time editing? Um, I've got to say, I think I've, I've found over the years that my favourite time is actually during the shoot. That's what I enjoy most. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of editing. And... I've got kind of, I think I've got kind of two styles these days. I mean, I do have the studio beauty stuff that goes off to Stafka to get edited and everything looks amazing. And then I've got the side where I'll go on a trip to France and uh, shoot models over there and shoot them with natural light rather than flash. And um, they don't really need too much edit. So I like to keep it a bit more real when I'm doing that kind of stuff in natural light and not, not edit so much. Um, but obviously the beauty side is a different story and that's not poor level retouching. So different altogether. Something I've found um, in the times that I've had conversations with people about retouching, especially people that are outside of sort of the photographic sphere. Um, it seems especially more and more since probably about 2015, the conversation moves towards like ethics and body positivity and stuff like that. I have an opi- I, I have a pretty strong opinion on this uh, myself, but no one cares about my opinion on this podcast. So um, I want to read a quote <laughs> to you. And uh, it's kind of like my marriage, this podcast. It's, it's mostly about the other side. So um I want to read a a quote to you uh, about body image and and sort of the ethics of retouching and just see kind of what you think of this quote. Uh, So uh, this is by a um, a designer and a creative director called, I've written the name down with my own handwriting, I can't read it, Sarah Crassley, and um, said, decisions that post-production artists and retouchers are making are causing public health problems. Uh, You have young women and men uh, looking at these pictures and thinking their body needs to look like that in order to be accepted. Okay. And what do you make of a, of a comment like that? Well, I've got a teenage daughter, so I'm I'm kind of have a vested interest in not doing anything to upset her. So, <laughs> um, very, very few of my images are reshaped or anything like that. And that, I guess maybe some of that's down to the fact that I'm mainly doing head and shoulders. So I'm not often doing full body stuff anyway. Um, but I'd be very reluctant to reshape somebody. Um, as far as skin um, edits go, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because if somebody's got a mole on their face and that's them, should you keep it in, shouldn't you? I do struggle mm. with that sometimes because sometimes it looks better without and sometimes it's better with it in. Some models will say that they prefer it in or out. Um not many have already stipulated that to me, so I kind of do what I feel is right at the time. But um, I think these days you should do as much as you can to keep it keep it real. Um, but then I'm sure there's plenty of models that might have the old blemish that would be happy if you got rid of it before it went out on the internet. To me, it's just a really interesting time because with the 
amount of people that have uh, uh, some form of face fixing app on their phone. So when they'll take a picture of themselves, they will then do something to change their physical appearance based on what the app is doing. It seems a very bizarre time to suddenly have a problem with photographers doing it when it's something that's so freely chased. Um, And the other side of it to me is that there seems to be an awful lot of people that want to protect other people from stuff that I don't necessarily think people always need to be protected from. I think, you know, we, we could give people the benefit of the doubt. I think one, one group in particular, like perhaps like your daughter, um, young women are kind of treated as if they don't understand things. They're not capable of rational thinking. They're not capable of sort of deducting conclusions from something. They're just sort of like, uh, vulnerable animals that need to constantly be protected. And it feels kind of counterintuitive to what is essentially a feminist movement for it to be so dismissive of especially young females ability to kind of rationally think through a situation and make decisions yeah i agree to to point and um there's certainly a lot of people out there that are trying to um make life what they think is easier or better for other people as opposed to you know really having an opinion on themselves as such it's really they're trying to do it for somebody else and it's like you say it may not be necessary yeah, I'm, I, I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to push you down a whole political side or anything like that. It's just interesting from a beauty photographer. Um, it's it's something that I've I've heard be brought up about cosmetic adverts and and obviously fashion photography magazine covers is a big sort of buzzword for it. It's just interesting to hear the kind of the artist side of things because we're always just hearing from angry people on Twitter. Yeah, and it's difficult right now because obviously you're still seeing the magazines that are highly retouched, and then you get the others that have got very minimal. So. Um I think at the moment both styles still appear out there to some degree to both both types of people, um, but I am starting to go more towards the less retouched stuff than I was before. In general, unless it, unless it's dictated by a brief that you know it must be. Going down the channel of your personal work, because your website is really nicely set out. One of the things I absolutely love about your website is the the BTS, but we'll come back to that in a bit. Um, your personal work, is it a sort of direct reaction to what you're doing with your professional work? Is it kind of the antidote to your professional work? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, yes, I guess it feels like that. But then I, I, I think it'd be nice to start being looked at for that more. Mm-hmm. You know, if people appreciate that style, that's great because I really enjoy doing that too. Um, but then that is stuff that's been done and shot abroad, for example. If I get a lot of inspiration when I go abroad now. Um, when I'm shooting in Essex, it's not quite the same thing. So, um, yeah, that's probably what I enjoy shooting most at the moment. Um, whether or not I end up getting booked on that basis, we'll have to see. <laughs> Um, it, so if someone like myself, okay, or maybe not like myself because I've been working in photography for a bit, but if someone wanted to uh, get into beauty photography, say there's someone that's interested in not photographing people, but they're, they're interested by magazine covers or cosmetic adverts or whatever, what is the essential equipment of a beauty photographer? Oh, that's a good question. Well, these days, I, mean, I used to be, because I'm, I'm in IT, it's my main role, so I love technology. So I have been up on must have the latest kit, must have the latest gadgets, all that kind of stuff for years and years. But now um, I find it doesn't really bother me so much because everything that's coming out seems to be at a level where it's already good anyway. Yeah. So I'd say pretty much you could start off with any half-decent camera and, and you'd be okay. And then it's down to glass lenses. I've generally found that for close-up beauty, having a macro lens works really well. So a 90mm or a 105 macro 
for whatever system you have to be running works really nicely. Um, portrait in general, anything between 70 and 200 works well. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say, I mean, my go-to lens is probably a 105 macro. So uh, I'd highly recommend getting one of those. Obviously with macro um, lenses, there's such a higher degree of sharpness. Do you ever find that um, that can be detrimental potentially in terms of it kind of producing too much detail for sort of more of the portrait side of things? I think it's very much dependent on the model and the model's skin. If they've got a model of great skin, um, and that can be enhanced in... Um, in post-production as well it can just look stunning um so i've got no problem with that at all with the amount of detail um the amount of detail you get in an iris and all that kind of stuff if that comes out that can just look amazing so no not really and in terms of lighting is it good to sort of start off with one light and just figure that out it, it, do you have any kind of go-to lighting setups that you think um oh, you absolutely. couldn't go without i mean i would say probably 90 percent of my stuff is shot with one light and a reflector so um, something like uh, obviously you can have different um, modifiers and stuff so you could have a um, a big softbox because generally this isn't a hard and fast rule so you can use hard light or soft light depending on what it is that you want to get out of it but generally most of my stuff is soft light um, quite close up with the with the softbox or the um, beauty dish whatever it happens to be we're using I find having that on a boom stand works really well so it's nice that I've got a portable boom stand for that so it's not getting in the way of you taking the images. Um, sometimes use a tripod, because um, obviously when you're shooting macro and you're quite close to your subject, you've got a very shallow depth of field. So you have to um, take that into account. And it, it does mean sometimes you're shooting a really small aperture, um, smaller maybe than your ideal for sharpness if this let's say your ideal is f8 i still may be shooting at f13 plus to get what i want to get in the image in focus depending on how close i am to the subject um but yeah those and a reflector for underneath or another light underneath if, if you want to do it that way you can um but very few of my images have more than two lights and there's some lighting a background as well or having a hair light in there um yeah one, one will serve you well for a long time. Is there a different approach uh, in terms of, from your point of view, not not obviously the overall team, but is there a difference in approach when you're doing hair work as opposed to doing beauty photography? Uh, yeah, because the lighting is a bit more important because you need to show the hair. So if you're lighting for the face, as you would do in beauty, um, you need to expand that into the hair. So... Um, yeah, generally speaking, that might involve another light coming in from the top or wherever it may be. Um, I don't often have rim light in my images. You might notice that if you look through again. Mm -hmm. So um, it tends to be maybe something from the top and, and something lighting the face. Um, I think the thing with hair photography, it's really sometimes you in, you're encouraged to have like a different backdrop that might look you know different for the the, the uh, collection of images or something like that. So then you've got to start thinking about how you're going to light that and bring that into the images as well. Is it the case that you're spending a lot of time in the sort of the the testing of the lights and making sure that everything's kind of in the right place and then it's very few <laughs> shots to get the shot that you want? Or is it, are you still shooting quite a lot once you've got everything set? Um, no, to be honest with you, I'm fairly quick. Once things are set up, um, I might take um, 10, 15 images and I'll probably, well, I'll stop then because usually the last couple will be the ones that are the best. So yeah, it's usually fairly quick once everything's set up. 
you don't always get as much time to set up as you might like. Um, yeah, there's been plenty of times when I could have spent more time trying to get the lighting spot on, but I've had to really go with the flow of, you know, being given the models with their different looks and stuff. So you haven't got much time. But yeah, once it's once it's ready, it doesn't take too long. Is there anything about working in in beauty and hair that maybe people don't realise is harder than it looks, or is there any kind of myths about being a beauty photographer that people misunderstand? That's a good question. I, th- I think the the main thing is um, if you haven't got a studio and you're going to be going, like I said, to possibly anywhere to shoot, which you may or may not have had a racket of in the beforehand. Um, you need to adapt to the situation. So you may have to, um, I mean, I tend to shoot between two um, black panels to sort of help my contrast and stuff. But that also means that I don't get reflections back from, yeah. you know, white walls and from mm-hmm. mirrors on the wall and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you can control it to a point wherever you are, but you still need enough room to be able to do what you've got to do. Um, one of the things that can be a, a problem that you kind of, don't always have the um, the depth of field that you want one way or the other because of the space you're working in. So you've got to kind of just um, do the best you can, getting the kind of results you're after based on, on how much space you've got. So it's, uh, it's obviously, I think, a myth with beauty photography that... Y- maybe maybe a myth that you guys kind of because you work within a studio and the i think the idea is people come to your studio you take some pictures and they go away and then that's that's the end of it it's a very cozy way of working where in actual fact it sounds like it's very uh, very much a very quick fire job where you have a lot of um moving parts that maybe aren't always in your control and also that you have to be pretty good at problem solving fairly quickly yeah, if you're not if you're not in your own studio and you know it back to front, then definitely, yeah, you have to adapt to wherever you are. And that that might be quite easy for beauty. You might just need a sort of clamshell lighting setup. Um, like I said, reflect underneath light from the, the top somewhere. And you may only need eight foot square to do that in, maybe. Yeah. Um so yeah, beauty you can probably get away with, especially if macro, because you're getting in nice and close. But if you want to add any depth to your images or make sure that more is in focus based on where you are. It can be a bit more tricky. Have you ever had clients that have been particularly difficult to work with where their expectations are either unreasonable or they're constantly changing? Um, I've done quite well for having not too many problems, to be honest, but um, I'm sure in the past there's there's been issues where people want more than you've really initially agreed to so you may have agreed to three or four images and suddenly they want 12 or something like that and if you were editing them yourself that's a big deal you know the amount of time you spend doing that and even if you're getting it done by third party that's extra costs involved um so you really need to cover yourself with a contract or in fact you're preferably with a a written contract rather than a verbal one before you go into something that might cause you issues with the client down the road set those expectations right at the beginning and and save yourself I think contracting up is like the smartest thing anyone can do in photography is just make sure everyone knows the expectations on both sides. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So go back to your retoucher for a second. Um, how, how many, how many years did you say you've been working with them? 
So it's got to be about eight or nine years now. So I did what most most people do when they go and start to find a retoucher is just send send the same image out to several and then see what comes back. And um, that also meant that they were going out to different countries around the world in gen- in some cases. So you had some go to um, I don't know America, South America, India, Europe. Um, and it's very interesting to see what comes back because some things are, are also the result is based on the cultural differences and what what appeals to somebody beauty-wise in one of those countries may or may not be um, what you're looking for. So I, I found it took me quite a long time, really. So first of all, find someone that I thought was really good at what they did and compatible with what I considered to be my final style. And... Um, then you've got to have someone that's reliable. So if you do do a job at the weekend, I tend to give them a heads up and say, right, I'm doing this job. Um, we should have eight images out of this at the end of the day. Do you think you're going to be okay for this next week? And they'll come back to you and say yes or no. Um, generally speaking, I get my images back within two or three days. Wow. Really fast. So I'm used to that service now. And if I was to send something off to somebody, especially for a client job, and some of these have time constraints. They want the finished images back by a certain date. If you were let down at that stage, that would be a disaster. Because yeah. occasionally the client might say, oh, could we have this slightly changed? Or You're going back and forth occasionally. Um, but the other thing that's nice about working with who I work with is there isn't much to and fro. And we know what each other likes now. And generally speaking, it might even come back first time and be perfect. Um, and it's only occasionally on the hair jobs where obviously you've got stylists, the hairdressers looking at these shots from their point of view and what they're trying to achieve and they might like a slight tweak on something that you I wouldn't know because that's not my profession you know yeah. so um, I've been lucky that she's been everything, she's reliable, she's does everything on time, she's very good at what she does and she'll also do um, fixes fast um, you can't ask for more than that really is it important to kind of build up a language between yourselves? Obviously, like you're saying about you've got people in all different countries where you could potentially send your work. Is it important to kind of build up a, an understanding of of not necessarily like I'm not talking kind of literally language, but an understanding of language when you say, oh, I just need this one thing corrected slightly. Obviously, doing that by email could be quite difficult. Is it important to build up that language where you understand each other quite quickly? Uh, yeah, just generally, I generally do most of my uh, communications over Facebook messaging or something like that, to be honest, because you can upload right. the image, you can you can um, annotate an image to show roughly what you want and then try and explain that. Um, and sometimes those descriptions will come from the client direct rather than me even have to step in. I just have to provide the information and hope that the retoucher interprets it correctly. And I've been lucky again in that they have. Um I mean, we do speak slightly with different languages. I mean, she speaks some English, but not amazing. So um, we've managed to get by all these years without too much trouble at all. She's been really good. When it comes to your your team overall, so um, you've got, like you said, a fashion stylist, hairstylist, uh, makeup artist, yourself, the retoucher, the model, anyone else that might be involved. Uh, one of the things I think is... Uh, really a a bad uh, impression people have of beauty photography is that essentially so much stuff can just be sorted in the edit. Uh, How important (laughs) are those people in the pre-production and on on the shoot? How important are they? And and the little jobs that they do that maybe are completely underappreciated and completely unrecognized by people that are out of the loop uh, in terms of getting things right so that the edit is about improving the image, not saving it. 
Yeah, no, totally. Um, but I always try and get the lighting as, as good as I can in camera. So that's a major part of it. Um, the makeup needs to be on point too, because although a retouch can work miracles with most things, if it's pretty much there to start with, that's that's always a bonus. Um, you know, having the model turn up after having a decent sleep rather than being up till 4 a.m. is always a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think everybody different. I mean, as the stylist, you know, they're going out maybe the week before trying to gather items from wherever they gather them from, trying to put things together. And then, of course, after the shoot, they've got to take it all back again. So, you know, there's a lot of work goes in behind the scenes. You don't realise that, um, you know, things don't just turn up. They have to be taken back to where they've gone to. Uh, the makeup artist has to get their designs in their mind before they, they start quite often. Um, set the hair stylist certainly does. Uh, there's lots of prep. And just like in photography, there's lots of post. Um, and lots of sending images around to people to, you know, be approved or all that kind of stuff. All the admin that goes around it as well. There's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And to flip the things very slightly. So as a photographer, obviously you produce fantastic images, but what else can you do to ensure that you're on the right side, on, you know, you're on good terms with everyone in your team? What can a photographer do beyond just producing good work to stay on good terms? Um, it's an interesting one because I think in my main job, in my IT job, you don't get praised often for what you do. You only get um, shouted at if things break. <laughs> Whereas when, when, when you're a photographer, if things are going well, everybody's like really um, full of praise and everybody's thanking each other and, you know, um, the model's you know getting, getting her um, compliments and stuff the whole time. You're kind of getting instant gratification to some degree, which you don't really get in many other jobs. So yeah. um, from that point of view, it's totally different. And I think provided everybody's having a good time, that they're being fed, um, there's there's no um, cattiness going on in one way or another. If you, you know, you're going to try and avoid all of that stuff, then uh, you're fine. So you said earlier that you'd sort of do between 10 and 15 images when the ball gets rolling on beauty work. Something I found from working with models is that that quite a few of them have needed like a good flow. Like they've needed to kind of get into the into the rhythm of what they're doing mm. to really start producing the good stuff. So how, how do you go about balancing kind of your efficiency with making sure someone's kind of warmed up enough? And how do you go about sort of tempering that point where you're you're sort of taking excessive images or not enough images how did how did you go about finding that happy medium yeah that's a good question again that's really just going with the flow i find because when the model first turns up it's first maybe the first time you've met them it can take a little while to as you say get in the flow so you may find it depends what it's for if it's for a model portfolio or something you might find the first one or two looks are kind of just the shots are pretty average and it's not mm -hmm. till nearly the end of the shoot that you're getting the best work out of them um but that really is just about um confidence of the person you're shooting at the time their experience the rapport between you um there's all sorts of things that can affect that but i don't think you can really control well, i certainly can't control that and if somebody said right i've got to have 15 different looks out of this or whatever it may be um to guarantee that they're going to have an amazing uh look out of each one because as you say the, i think that the whole path of the day tends to improve as you go along one one of the things i love about what well, 
Well, one of the things I absolutely love about your work, uh, especially your hair work, is the energy of it. There's, there's, it feels like there's a real, I don't know if this is the right word, but it definitely feels like there's an aggression to the energy. It feels like um, it's it's got a lot of attitude. It's got a lot of fire in it. And obviously with all the incremental changes that are being done between the lighting and the, um, the hairstylist making sure that everything's exactly where they want it to be and the fact that, like you say, you're working usually within a sort of a limited time period, how do you go about keeping that energy up? Um, I wouldn't say I was the most... Um outgoing photographer that kind of you know really g's everybody up and all that kind of stuff i kind of stick to my role and um, i enjoy a rapport with the models but not overly um sort of trying to to do that if you know what i mean um a lot of it is down to the models that are picked for those jobs if they if they can give you that that fierceness or whatever it is you're looking for um you know that's that's the important thing and although i'm sure there's photographers out there that can bring that out of people i'm not an overly i'm not an extrovert from that point of view i don't think it's me that's really pulling them out putting that out of them all i'm really doing is tweaking angles when i'm talking, talking to my models more than anything else right you know chin up here chin down there can you look a little this way that way make sure your eyes aren't looking too far over etc cetera, etc cetera. And that, that's the kind of things I'll be talking, but obviously giving them compliments on how things are going and all that kind of stuff as you go along. Um, but that's pretty much how I work. I don't really sort of um, go further than that from my point of view. Something that I've asked on quite a few of these podcasts whenever I get someone that photographs people and I almost never get a, a even remotely complete answer is in terms of, of people you'd like to photograph. Okay. So do you have like a list of five people perhaps that that you'd really love to have the opportunity to photograph, whether it be beneficial to your career or just the fact that their their faces would suit your work or they suit your style, anything like that? I think you've just got to say that anybody that's um, famous would be fantastic to be able to shoot them. I mean, one of my biggest influences is probably um, Peter Lindbergh. I mean, I'd absolutely love his work. And when you see what he's done with some of the A-list celebrities, but he's also kept it real. I'm not um, done anything too overboard in, in most of these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really how I'd like to be. So I'd, I don't know if I'd actually pick anybody in particular. Charlie's Theron, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but somebody that's got lots of character, has got a, a backlog of amazing images, um, to be able to walk away with something similar would be absolutely amazing. So... Um, yeah, that's all I could say, really. I think it's just somebody famous would be fantastic. And uh, we kind of circling back earlier, I spoke about if someone was interested in becoming a beauty photographer, what would they need in terms of gear? But mm. if you were to advise someone that's looking to get on the path, what's the best piece of advice given sort of where you are on the ladder you could give to someone that's looking to get onto the ladder? It's interesting. So I think in photography, you need to be better at marketing than you are anything else probably and mm-hmm. I've never really done that I've never really marketed myself particularly I've done the social media and that kind of stuff to a degree but again not overly because I've got a full time job I can't do shoots during the week generally speaking unless I take time off work and I have done that in the past but you know you can't run a business like that so mm-hmm. um, you really need to know who to speak to you need to network and make sure that you're at the forefront of anybody um, that could possibly book you's mind so if you are going to fashion shows and things like that and you're talking to designers and you maybe if you get into the hair photography thing, you're talking to hairdressers and showing them what you can do and all that kind of stuff, then maybe you, you stand a chance of getting some work with them. But um, 
again, a lot of these people are quite loyal to people they worked with before, and certainly in the in the hair um, photography industry, there's there's four or five big names that seem to get a lot of the work, and they right. get it regularly from those same customers. So breaking into where somebody's already already taken a hold is very hard. Um, is that the downside of it being so team intensive? Um. I don't know that team intensity is uh, is the downside. I think it's just that there's a there's a certain amount of work out there that everybody's chasing, but you're also you, you would have you'd have to drag someone away from someone they really like already to to yeah. probably get some of the jobs, and that's even harder. And of course, you know, I appreciate loyalty, and I'm sure everybody else does. So, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing. So, if we take Peter Lindbergh out of the equation really quickly. Um, I'm a huge fan of Peter Lindbergh. I think um, one of the most, of all the, the sort of fascination we've had over the past few years with celebrity deaths, which has been very bizarre. I think his one went under the radar for everyone outside of the photographic community when it really shouldn't have. Um, no, it shouldn't have. Who, who else are your influences in your work and, and whose work do you enjoy looking at that kind of keeps your mind active with inspiration? Um, Vincent Peters is another one. And it's interesting that both him and Peter um, do a lot of black and white work, and I really love working with black and white. So um, maybe that's why I really love those two. Um, Herberts, um, Russell James, fashion photographer, um, Rankin, I love his work as well. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of people that I really, really enjoy, but certainly um, I'd say Peter's my number one right now. It's a very sad thing, I think, with photography is uh, a lot of people that are starting out, they, they take a long time to realise the importance of acquiring a taste and actually learning what you like and why you like it and analysing your own opinions a little bit. Um, I think that helps you move forward quite quickly with um, getting through what technical knowledge you need and what technical knowledge you don't need. Whereas a lot of people that come into photography, I mean, I spent the better part of the last nine months on a bit of a social experiment of joining a camera club and kind of seeing how that works and it's amazing the amount of people that are just led by technical aspects rather than what what interests them what kind of lights a fire in them yeah yeah i've never gotten with camera clubs it's never appealed to me i've tried it a couple of times and it's been an eye-opener Based on my experience and the experience my mum went through and anyone else I've spoken to about it, I think it's the same like 25 people that have, have been in camera clubs for the last 200 years and yeah. no one else joins and likes it. It's just a, a load of people that get together and no one else can ever kind of penetrate the the system or um, the way of thinking or the clickiness of it. And it's just never really going to move forward. Yeah. It'll probably end up dying out because of it. It does seem to be the older generation. They don't seem to be overly keen on having the younger generation join in. Because no. um, I went with a friend. I mean, I'm in my 50s, so I can't really say I'm young, but I was younger than they were because they were kind of 70s, 80s, I think, generally speaking. And uh, one of the first first nights we went to, they had obviously decided to have a competition the week before, and it was um, photographing doors or windows, apparently. So mm -hmm. they started showing slides or whatever it was of some of the shots they'd done. And uh, I was looking at my friend thinking, oh dear, this isn't particularly exciting. <laughs> and uh, there was actually almost like a fight broke up, <laughs> broke out in the room where somebody was saying, I, I thought this was doors or windows, not doors and windows, because some people had both in their image and they had like, this oh, big kind God. of uh, situation over what it was. And that kind of really put me off. I think that they, they also said at the time that um, next week there's going to be a competition on something or other. And I said, oh, can we join in for that? 
oh no, you can't join unless you're a member. So you had to commit to being a member before you'd even be, you know, let into the fold whatsoever. Well, I joined fully. Um, I thought, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I went to the local one just after I moved, joined. Um, I've entered some competitions. I One of my images was a, a headshot of an actor and the judge spent a, about five minutes essentially calling me gay um, for the image that I was obviously just obsessed with the look of the man. I wasn't interested photographically which was really bizarre um mm. like there was no feedback coming from it but one of the funniest moments so i'm i'm 31 and i definitely don't feel young but in there i feel like um practically a baby <laughs> yeah. and uh there was a presentation where they were talking about basically how stupid millennials were and people that take pictures on their phones and this is going to be a lost generation because no one is using a camera anymore other than on their phone and uh, there was a there was a little line of um, dialogue or monologue in this presentation, which really stuck out to me, which was they said, I'm sure everybody in this room knows where they were when the moon landing happened. <laughs> and I was I was oh about I was so, about 19 years of being born. <laughs> yes. Okay, so one thing I want to obviously make sure that everybody gets to do, the whole point of me doing these podcasts is to just introduce people to amazing uh, photographers, hear from amazing photographers, and then hopefully from their build-up, their their repertoire of amazing people to follow. How do we follow you? What is your website, your social media? How do we follow you? Okay, so website is um, martinhiggs.co.uk, nice and easy. Um, Instagram is at mhiggs2000. And that's the main ones, really. I'm on Facebook too, but I tend to use that a bit less these days. So it's Instagram and my website, probably the best places to get a hold of me. And one more question before we let you go and enjoy your evening. Um, what are you doing to kind of keep yourself um, active mentally and inspired during this sort of lockdown period? Oh, it's, it's very depressing. I had um, two foreign trips planned, one to France, um, one to Spain, um, later in the year, so June and October, and it's now looking like probably neither of those will happen. So we're going to probably have to postpone those to the following year, all being well. Um, I really enjoy those trips. I go with a group of photographer friends, and um, the photography is really good. We tend to be one-to-one um, -one, um, with four models for the whole period you're out there, so you get loads of images. Uh, and then in the evenings you, you chill out and you know have a meal together and drink wine and and chat about what you've done during the day and I really enjoy it and that's all gone out the window this time around so yeah not great um, I had a shoot for the British Hairdressing Awards books and that's been cancelled so that's a shame I was supposed to be doing another shoot for another brand and that's again can't be arranged because of getting everybody together so um, at the moment it's um it's difficult to be inspired, if I'm honest. It's everything seems to be just uh, um, going to pot. I think I it's the uncertainty it. more than anything, right? It's just sitting there and not really knowing when you can start to feel things are going to return to normal. So it's hard to kind of gear yourself up. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they seem to be saying that nothing will return to normal until they found a vaccine, and um, you've got some sort of certificate saying that you've been tested and everything's fine so um if that's the case that could be a year 18 months away maybe who knows yeah maybe crazy longer. times yeah yeah martin it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um like i say 
your work is absolutely phenomenal. You're one of my favorite photographers. You've been so gracious as to come on this. Um, thank you so much. And please, please, please keep producing amazing work. Oh, thank you very much. I'd like to think I'm, I'm, I remain humble and I appreciate anybody that likes the work. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. <laughs>